Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please open up your Bibles to, to the book of Genesis 18, the 18th chapter, verses 16 to 33, Genesis 18, 16 to 33. We're continuing our study of the life of the head of household in the Old Testament, what in former times we used to be able to refer to as patriarchs, literally father rulers. Abraham is, Scripture says, our father. And we're in the middle of the account of his life and God's working with him this week, picking up from the account of his hospitality to the Lord and the two men with him. 18, chapter 18 of Genesis, beginning with verse 16. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Very interesting, isn't it? Real interesting. 
So the first thing we notice is that the last time we studied this account of the Lord and two men coming to Abraham, we said that Abraham was an unbelievable host. And we saw how the minute the men appeared in front of him, he ran to greet them and he fell down on his face. And then he served them food, he washed their feet. He was a perfect host and we see that at the beginning here. We see that Abraham hasn't stopped being a perfect host because even when they get up to go, you know, when people get up to leave my house, if it's my children and grandchildren, generally I will go the whole way out to the driveway and wait until they drive down the driveway and wave goodbye, right? But if it's you, no way. You know, I'm not, sometimes, I mean, I don't want to admit it, but sometimes I don't even get up from the couch. And that's not polite. That's not polite at all. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and it says Abraham was walking with them to send them off. What a wonderful host. He just keeps loving and caring for others. And we read, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, we all know what he's about to do. What Abram is about to do, or God is about to do, is he's about to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities in the valley off the face of the map. Fire and brimstone, and it will consume them. We know that because we've read the story before. And so God is here saying, should I hide what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great wickedness from my servant Abraham? Should I hide it from him? Well, we might be shaken off the trail by taking what, what Scripture records literally and thinking, well, God's asking himself if he should hide it. But no, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is God saying, I'm not going to hide it. And you say, well, why would the text say, shall I hide? Well, because it's a way of saying it would be stupid to hide. No, I'm not going to hide. This is helpful. It will be helpful for me to not hide from Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be helpful for me to reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. I will not hide it. I will reveal what I'm about to do. And he goes on and he does reveal it, right? Now, why does he reveal it to Abraham? Well, we see purpose clause statement since, at the beginning of verse 18, since... Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So what God's saying is, I'm about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be a notorious judgment. Their wickedness is notorious. And I'm not going to hide it because I have chosen to bless Abraham, to bless his descendants, and to bless all men through him. Generations to come. Because he's going to be a blessing, because he is going to have his children and his own family be in covenant with me, I'm not going to hide it from them. Because what? Because it's going to be useful for Abraham to know, because his children are going to know, his household is going to know, and all nations will know. All nations 
including Bloomington, Indiana today, will, because of my specificity, my explicit statement about Sodom and Gomorrah, all nations will be blessed through Abram. (laughs) And put yourself in my shoes, and you'll know why I just laughed. Is there anybody here today that thinks that it's a precious gift to us that God was specific about Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham so that you would know today and so that you could tell your children and your household and the people you work with? Because all of us talk about Sodom, right? And all of us talk about sodomy, sodomite, sodom, you know, these are words that are found on the tip of our tongue. We just can't wait to insert them into Facebook conversations. (laughs) Now you're laughing and now you know what it is to preach. You know, and I said in the first service, you know that Monty Python line, where is the ambiguity? It's in a box by the door. There is no ambiguity here. What was Sodom? What was Gomorrah? What were the other cities like? Well, we know from Scripture this is what they were like, right? And think of, think of America as I read this. Genesis 13.10, you remember Lot and Abram are dividing up. There's not enough land for all their flocks. Their shepherds are fighting each other, the herdsmen. So Abram gives Lot first choice. Lot looks out, and he sees the land he likes. And so it says in Genesis 13.10, Lot lifted up his eyes, he saw all the valley of the Jordan. So all these cities are in the valley of the Jordan. And that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. So this would have been the garden of Eden. That's how beautiful the place was. That's how fecund, how fertile, how green, how watered it was. Like the Garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. And then this statement. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Does this sound like North America? Unbelievable wealth, fertile, green, fruitful. America, North America is the land you would choose if you were dividing from Abraham and you had a bunch of flocks, right? And then what else do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, then we know that as is typical of places that are unbelievably wealthy and fruitful, is that the people get fat and decadent. And so, guess what? The place of greatest wealth is the place of greatest wickedness. You remember the warning that God gave the Israelites when they came in the promised land. You're going to have unbelievable wealth, and you're going to say, look what me and my hands did. And he said, you will forget the Lord. And that was what had happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
And so the opposite is what God did. He revealed it. And he revealed it since Abraham was to be a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And so you say, well, how does that work? How is it a blessing? How is Abraham being a blessing to all nations of the earth um, helped by God revealing what he's going to do to Sodom? Well, how does that work? How does it work, right? Well, then in verse 18, 19, it says, for, so we have another explanation, for I have chosen him so that, so, so he's going to be a blessing. I'm going to reveal what, the judgments because he's going to be a blessing to everybody. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that, so this is the second purpose, so that he'll command his children, and so that, having commanded his children, his household, after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing right, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about. And this is a choo-choo dream. God has promised that he is in covenant with Abraham and with his descendants and that all men are going to be blessed through him, men, women. And now he's going to bring an incredible judgment on terrible wickedness. And he says, I want to reveal it to him because it's going to be so helpful. I chose him. And now he will command his children to keep the way of the Lord. And then he will be a blessing. And his children will be godly, and they will do righteousness and justice. Why? 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 Because God reveals his judgments. And those judgments are what? They're helpful. It's a choo-choo train. God chooses them. God judges. God reveals a judgment. That judgment is then repeated by Abraham to his children. His children repeat it to their children, their children. All nations are blessed by the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he revealed it. So then, the obvious question that anybody preaching this text, man, woman, or child, would have at this point is, how come we want to hide it? You know, or to make it more personal, how come you want to hide it? And you know why? The reason is we don't have any faith in the judgment of God being the gospel. We don't believe that God's judgments are good news, we think they're just bad news. We don't believe they're good news. Why? Well, principally because we don't want to be judged ourselves. And we think that there's this, you can have a a little sort of understanding with God where if you don't spank your children, he won't spank you. And how that fools every generation of fathers is beyond me. But it just gets every single generation of fathers, if I don't spank my son, then God won't spank his son. And so I'll just act like I don't see what's going on with my son and God will act like he just doesn't see what's going on with me. 
and then we'll, we'll both go to heaven because God hasn't seen what's been going on with me and my son. <laughs> and then God's gift of the blood of his son will be despised, it will be worthless, it will be the most foolish thing that was ever done in the history of the universe. Because what on earth? Why would God be concerned about sin anyhow? I'm not concerned about sin in my home. And my God is bigger than that, you know? And so, I don't know what the deal is about Jesus. I think Jesus just, it's like Einstein, or not Einstein, what's his name, the the organist? Schweitzer. Yeah, it's like Schweitzer said, you know? Jesus tried, but he ended it up failing. But wasn't it a glorious failure? <laughs> you know? And you say, well, no, I believe in the substitutionary atonement. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I say, what sins? You don't believe you have any sins. Oh, yeah, 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 I do, I do have sins. Oh, really? And I'll bet they're clean, aren't they? Like that little lie that Sarah told last week. Wasn't she cute? Bless her heart. (laughs) So about this time, you're looking for a place to make me back off. You know, to, to find a principled place to stand where you can deny that I'm right, that, you know what I mean, some place to maintain some honor as a Christian. And so... You know, we were reading Calvin recently in the reading group we have at the Institutes, and he was talking about how, you know, we have to to be sort of um, anticipated and, you know, like in chess. We have to be, like, hedged off at all the Weasley places we try to take because our hearts just never stop trying to escape acknowledging our sin, all right? And so if I, were, if I were thinking how I would be receiving this sermon right now, what I would think is that I'd try to say, no, I believe in the judgment of God being part of the gospel. It makes no sense for Jesus to die if God is not a just God who requires full satisfaction for wickedness which is contrary to his nature. But... The way to deal with sin today is different than the way that it needed to be dealt with in the time of Abraham. Back then, men were brutes. The way they got women is they grabbed them by the hair and pulled them into a cave and had their way with them. But we're more sophisticated today. And we need the truth to be presented to us in a way that makes the truth palatable to us and the parts, the aspects of the truth that, that we find comport themselves to the dignity that, 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 that people should have today because, you know, today we live in the United States and if the one thing the United States has, it's dignity of its citizens. And so today we need to come up with a different way of dealing with people. So today, actually, it's not helpful for God to reveal his judgments. We need to hide them because that God is a scandal to us today. Because today we need to be flattered and mollycoddled and calmed and cuddled 
Today, the, the holiness of God, that he bends his bow. Did you hear it in the psalm earlier? That he bends the bow for the wicked. That's not redemptive. That's not the gospel. I don't receive that as the gospel today, you know? It just doesn't minister to me. It doesn't speak my language. You know, I speak North American English. And judgment is not in the vocabulary of North American English. You know? And so, you're very sophisticated. You're not accusing God of evil. It's fine for him to have the judgment. It's fine for his son to go to the cross and die. Yeah, that's fine. You're, you're okay with that. Isn't, that. isn't that magnanimous of you? <laughs> but you ain't going to carry any of God's water. Especially the water of judgment. No, 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 not you. <laughs> you know, ain't going to do it. And I say, sir, you're ashamed of the blood of Jesus. No, 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 I'm not ashamed of the blood. Well, what is the blood for? Well, sin! Whose sin? Mine! <laughs> you know. Oh, good, okay, now we've got some commonality here. Like, what kinds of sins? Well, like when I laughed and said I didn't behind the tent flap. Really? Okay, okay. That's, that's your sin. You laugh behind the tent flap. Is that really the sin that Jesus died for you? <laughs> and you say, no, no, no. Please don't let that be the sin that Jesus died for me. Because if that's the sin he died for me, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. My sin is so infinitely worse than that. I say, oh, 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 really? Really? Your sin's worse than that, huh? Hmm. So in other words, you really need the blood of Jesus. Oh, I need the blood of Jesus. I say, good. Okay, me too. We're, we're all there together, right? Everybody here? Okay. So like, what about your neighbor? What about your neighbor? Don't you think your neighbor has your sin? Don't you think your neighbor wants a man's body and he's a man? Don't you think your neighbor has a woman's body and she desires women? And you say, oh, I don't do that. And I say, yes, you do. You say, oh, no, 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 I've never had any homosexual desire. I say, well, good for you. You've aborted your child. Oh, no, I haven't aborted my child. I say, okay, so like every time your child was sick, you got up immediately and went in and didn't resent the crying. You just were so happy to have a baby that had needs, right? Well, but that's not aborting your child if you don't go right away when a child cries. What's this? You're like believing on demand feeding, right? You know, haven't you read Gary Ezzo? Or whoever it is today. To not respond to a child's crying is not to abort the child. I say, oh, really? Okay. So in other words, you as a mother have never done things that have placed your child's life in jeopardy. And if you tell me you haven't, I say you're a liar. I say you're a liar, and you know you're a liar. Because you know every mother has at times wished her children were dead. 
They have wished that her child was dead in the womb. And that's why women have such trouble with miscarriages. Because they know that they've had, what's the word, um, ambivalence towards being pregnant. And then when their child dies, they feel responsible for it. This is who we are. We are homosexuals. We are adulterers. We are greedy. We are murderers. There are many men here who have children who have been murdered by the woman they slept with and they don't know it. And you know that nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ will save you. Nothing. There's nothing precious enough except Jesus' blood, the blood of God's Son. Nothing can save you except the blood of Jesus. And yet, you have no faith for sin and judgment to be the thing that drives your next-door neighbor to Jesus Christ. And the reason is that you're now piling sin on sin. Having sinned before and having God been merciful to you when you were his enemy and he drew you to him, you now will be damned if you're going to talk to anybody about their sin. You came to God through your sin, but you will not allow anybody else that you love to come to God through their sin. And you know why? The reason is you don't love them. God loved you when you were, there, when you were his enemy. That's when he loved you. But you won't love God's enemies. And so you will not do what God has commanded, which is to command your children to keep the way of the Lord and hold up Sodom and Gomorrah as an example to them. I remember when AIDS first started hitting our country, there was a guy named Randy Schultz who was a correspondent for the San Francisco newspaper, and he wrote a book called In the Band Played On. And Schultz was a, uh, was a, was a homosexual man, and he just wrote a book accounting for how AIDS came to America. It went all across the country. And it was absolutely mind-boggling the ways that all of America, from C. Everett Koop, who was a surgeon general, right down to the guys that owned the bathhouses, shook their fist at God and would not repent, <laughs> you know? I remember reading this long article in the New Yorker. I think it was a three-part series where, if I remember correctly, it was a woman. And she just went out. She could not understand how in San Francisco, the health commissioner said he was going to shut down the bathhouses. Everybody knew! Everybody knew that's where men were dying. And so they, they announced that they were going to shut down the bathhouses, and all hell broke loose. And I remember her watching her through her writing, trying to get a grasp on how men could know that they were going to kill and die because of their behavior, and yet made it a civil rights issue that they could continue to engage in the behavior that was going to kill other men and cause them to die. And so she went to this pastor of this, uh, what's it called, Metropolitan Tabernacle Church, which back then was the homosexual Christian denomination is oxymoron, but 
bear with me. And she asked him, why would you homosexuals have such a fit over having the very place where you're dying and killing being shut down? Why? Well, because they go in there and anonymously have sex with each other. Multiple ones in one night. Multiple partners. And the man's response was, if I have to choose between what? If I have to choose between... You ready for this? If I have to choose between going back into the closet or death, that is a very difficult choice for me to make. Now, come on, people. How do we get to the point where we equate, think about this, not having multiple partners anonymously in a bathhouse in one night with going back into the closet? Come on, you see this. I mean, we still have innumerable other options. And I remember reading her reporting that, that exchange, and I bet I have it within a word or two of accurate, and I didn't check on it this week. I haven't read it for years. I just never forget reading it. And she was horrified. And in the middle of that, Billy Graham announced to the world that AIDS was not God's judgment on, man, on, on homosexuality. And we look at that and we say, no, no, really? And I say, yeah, yeah, really. He was our, our Pope. And that's what he said. And now I say to you, so are you any better? <laughs> when is the last time you explained to anybody? It doesn't have to be a homosexual. It doesn't have to be a lesbian gay. It doesn't have to be a tranny. It doesn't have to be any of those people. When's the last time you explained what God did to the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and how helpful that is to them and to us today. And you know the answer, right? You know the answer. The answer is that you are ashamed of the character of God and that you do not believe in the fear of God. That's the answer. And yet, when I ask you how you came to believe in Jesus, every one of you as a Christian are going to immediately tell me how you were so, so deep in your own sin that there was no hope for you. And then you heard the truth that God sent his son to save sinners. And it connected because you knew there was no hope for you. And so you ran to the cross like Christian. You ran to the cross. I say, okay, good. We're on the same page now. You're biblical. Now, what about the wicked who are God's enemies today? What about them? You say, well, do you know how hard they are? And do you know that they don't experience the homosexual temptation the way Scripture presents it? You know, that's not how they experience it personally. And, and look, if Christians are anything we love, 
And it's not loving to speak a language, a vocabulary, a, a moral agency that doesn't comport to their sense of, I mean, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to be sensitive to our neighbors. How, how can I speak of sodomy and sodomites and Sodom and Gomorrah and God's judgment and be sensitive to my neighbor who is gay? How can I do that? I can't do that. And I say to you, listen to me. You have not begun to be sensitive to the bondage of homosexuality until you see the glorious gift of Sodom and Gomorrah and how useful it is for souls that are perishing today. Your problem is you don't know anything about homosexuals. <laughs> That's your problem. You've listened to all the lies, you've believed all the lies, and so you don't think judgment is helpful with homosexuals. What's helpful with homosexuals is to be sensitive to the ways they've discovered their sexual orientation and, and how early in life it came and, and how, how tenacious it is and, and how many of them are some of the most outstanding citizens we have and, and, that, and, 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 and a lot of the greatest creativity and literature and art and movies and all kinds of places come from that special gift God's given them of a unique sexual identity that that is, that is an orientation that's different from us, but I don't care because everybody doesn't have to be like me and, and, and godliness isn't heterosexuality anyhow. And, and you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you know, you know, I mean, you know. <laughs> I say, okay, so uh, in what way is it helpful that God showed Abraham what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because they were so wicked? Well, this is a private truth for Christians that we can talk here today. You know, like you are right now. We're letting you talk. I go, oh, well, that's real helpful. <laughs> you know, here I am up here, and aren't you all glad I'm talking? <laughs> what a joke. All of you wish right now I would shut my mouth. This is painful. Why is it painful? Well, because it doesn't match on any level what you have experienced the rest of this week. This is like, this is not just an upside down the rest of your week. This is like an inside out and, and I mean, this is like not the rest of your week. <laughs> you know, not one of you gave the gift to Bloomington this last week of using the word sodomy. Not one of you. Well, maybe one of you. <laughs> but it wasn't Bloomington. It was someplace else. Listen. Listen. There are many, many, many acts of God that he hides from us. Are you with me? There are many things that God does not reveal to us. There are many things we want to know that God does not reveal to us. You have no idea why your beloved younger brother is a rebel against God and will not repent. And some of you 
demand that God listen to you, to your whining, to your complaining about that dispensation of God, and you will not stop. And you want to know why God did not choose your younger brother. And so then you begin to deny that he he chooses us, and you begin to squirrel around with all kinds of doctrinal things as your way of escaping the fact that God has not revealed why he deals with your brother the way he does. Are you with me? Or your mother, your father, your neighbor. There are all kinds of things that God has done that make you angry. Are you with me? And that you will not accept silence from God on. There are all kinds of things that God has hidden from you that he refuses to reveal to you that you are not content about. Are you with me? Any of you who have any struggle with bitterness, you are bitter against God. Don't ever blame your father. It's a joke. It's God that we have in our crosshairs when we're bitter. Always God. And there's much that God hasn't revealed to us. And man, we will not accept that from God. The things that are hidden are mine, and God better give an accounting of himself to me, right? And then the things he reveals, we don't want to (laughs) know. Are we all together now? It's like the things he reveals, we don't want to know, and the things he hides, we want to know. It's like we're rebels against God. On every level, in every way, our inclination is to oppose God, not to love him, Not to trust him, not to be quiet like a weaned baby at his mother's breast. You know what Calvin says over and over again about this passage? He says this passage and its truth is given to us, and he's speaking to Christians, so that our fear of God will increase. Because that will keep us from being condemned. He's talking to Christians. He believes in eternal security. He says this is a great account, and we should make sure that we pass this account on to our children, and that we warn them so that in our children we see the fear of God increasing. The fear of God increases in us, the fear of God, and he says make sure that when you die, the root of the fear of God is so deep in your children that it will survive your death. And I think, how many of us have, as a principal goal of our raising our children, that they will fear God? And of course, the answer to that is, again, it's kind of humorous, because what we really want our children to do is to like us, and to think we're funny, tell good jokes. We don't want our children to be afraid of us, right? No, there's not a father here that wants his child to be afraid of him. As a matter of fact, that's what feminism has taught us. There are two things it's given men. Number one, the freedom to cry, and number two, the understanding that our, nobody should ever be afraid of us. We should never scare anybody. We should never surprise anybody. We should just be um-dee-dum-dee-dum-dee-dum. And getting us hooked on pornography will assure that that's the case. <laughs> you know? You know? 
But I ask you, how on earth are your children going to fear God if they don't fear the one who stands in the place of God their entire life until they leave their home? You tell me, how can a child, how can a son, how can a daughter fear God if the father is just so eager to be one of the guys and to get their child to like them? Do you think, do you think that when the smoke was rising from the valley, after God consumed the cities, do you think that Abraham improved that vision to his children? Do you think so? Come on, people. Did he improve it? And if so, how did he improve it? Now listen, I'm going to do something to you you're not going to like. On the other hand, maybe you'll love it. I'm going to read you something. This is how a modern day father of the church improves the smoke from Sodom and Gomorrah today that is rising all around us. Is everybody with me that the smoke of Sodom and Gomorrah is all around us? All right? And this is how this president of a seminary, very, very conservative man, improves Sodom and Gomorrah today. The lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what he says. He says, early in this homosexual controversy, I felt it quite necessary in order to make clear the gospel to deny anything like a sexual orientation. I repent of that. So in the past, my commitment to the gospel caused me to deny there was such a thing as a sexual orientation. I repent of that. Now, mind you, this is today. This is post-Obergefell, post-Indiana Refra, post-Mike Pence telling the whole world that he doesn't believe in discrimination, right? This is post, you know, $130,000 check going from the Christian couple out in Oregon to the, to the state. You know, this is, this is today. The smoke is rising. We're post-AIDS, post-Obergefell, you know, we're... The smoke. Are you with me? And, and, and right now, this is like in the last two weeks, he says, so I've repented of denying there was such a thing as a sexual orientation. Then he says, I believe that a biblical theological understanding, a robust biblical theology, do you know the word robust? Robust is really tasty with lots of seasonings. You know, robust is something that is like lots of meat. It's not quiche. Okay. I believe that a biblical theological understanding, a robust biblical theology, would point, would point to us that, would, would point to us that, okay, if you listen to language, would point to us that human sexual affective profiles of who we are sexually is far more deeply rooted than just the will, if that were so easy. He's improving the smoke and God's judgment. Do you see this? And this man is far and away one of the most faithful pastors, trainer of pastors in America. 
And he says, I believe that a biblical theological understanding, a robust biblical theology, would point to us that human sexual affective, um, actually he says um there, profiles of who we are sexually is far more deeply rooted than just the will if that were so easy. But Genesis 3 explains that, helps us to understand that this complex of same-sex challenges coming to us is something that is deeply rooted in the biblical story itself. I've read this, I don't know how many times now, I still don't have any clue what he's saying there. But don't worry, there's more. And something we need to take with far greater seriousness than we've taken it in the past. And at this point, I want to say, what's this we, white man? I've been taking it seriously in my own heart, okay? Don't, don't include me there, okay? Understanding that that requires a far more robust gospel response than anything the church has come up with heretofore. Well, this is a historic moment. Put simply, most people experiencing, now at this point I want to get you to understand that when Mary Lee hit a tree with our silver van, right in the center of our silver van, the van didn't hit the tree. And the tree didn't hit the van. And it didn't just happen. Mary Lee was driving. She hit the stupid tree. Okay? Are you all with me? Accidents don't somehow happen. Right? Okay. Put simply, most people experiencing a same-sex attraction tell of discovering it within themselves at a very early age, certainly with in early puberty, as they experience it, sexual attraction or interest simply happens and they come to know it. Now mind you, the smoke is going up from Sodom and Gomorrah all around us, and every single statement being made by this man is absolving homosexual sinners of moral agency. Do you understand this? Everything is calculated to make them understand that you finally have repented and now you get it. There's a homosexual orientation. The homosexual orientation was not chosen. It was discovered. It's not something that you chose. And you just happened on it. You were just minding your own business. And all of a sudden, it smacked you in the face. Now, at this point, many of you are uncomfortable because you think I'm making fun of homosexuals. I'm not. I'm making fun of this man, and he ain't a homosexual. Okay? Then he says this, the concept of sexual orientation is not only helpful, it is in some sense essential. Even those who argue against its existence have to describe and affirm something tantamount to it. There is a pattern of sexual interest and attraction that is discovered in early adolescence. It is not something that is in itself freely chosen. Now, how does this improve the smoke of Sodom and Gomorrah? How is he faithful in carrying on the work that God gave to Abraham? Abraham. 
If you were in the bondage of homosexuality and had hundreds of partners, as is typical of male homosexuals, hundreds, okay? Hundreds. And listen, don't you ever question my knowledge of homosexuality. (laughs) Don't even try to do it. If you have had hundreds of partners in your aching search for intimacy and acceptance, and because of this you have had physical problems, because of this your conscience has been so assaulted by the indiscriminate nature of your sexual relationships that you're addicted to drugs, that you're addicted to alcohol, that you're a narcissist, And that you know people can't stand you, although they act like they like you and they love talking with you because you're very interesting. Do you really think that that person needs to be told that they had no moral agency, that they never chose to be a sexual sinner, that they never chose perverted desires, and that it's just simply their orientation? And after all, godliness is not heterosexuality. And how does this keep faith with God revealing to us Sodom and Gomorrah? If I were to read what this man has said and change it to incest, how do you think it would sit with us? You know, I now believe that there is such a thing as an incestuous orientation. I repent of denying it in the past, but from very early in life, they've had a desire for their sister, their brother. But now I realize this is deep-seated. It's not freely chosen. It's very hard to deal with. Even before early puberty, it shows up. Those who want to deny there is such a thing as an incestuous orientation are going to have to grant it anyhow. I repent. It doesn't work, does it? Why doesn't it work? Well, because we haven't been prepped yet for that one. It takes about 20 years of work to get us to the point where we accept this kind of baloney about homosexuality. Where homosexuals are a different kind of sexual sinner than anybody else. It's their orientation. They never chose it. They have no moral agency. And by the way, it doesn't hurt them. What hurts them is people like you that guilt trip them and cause them to commit suicide. People like God. And as a matter of fact, what hurts them is Sodom and Gomorrah. And see, all this language causes you to have absolutely no faith to do precisely what God commanded Abraham to do, which is to improve his judgment by passing it on to children and children's children, to talk about it, to write it into the history books, to try to get people to smell how acrid the smoke was of the burning flesh. That little children and women and men Even though it was the men that tried to rape the angels, or we have to assume it's angels, and the Lord, that the women and the children died too. And that this is just a tiny picture of the coming judgment, that God has pulled his bow. (laughs) You just heard it in Psalms. And he has his sights on the wicked. They're right at the center of his bullseye. And when you put your faith in Jesus, 
you had no question in your mind that God's sights were directly on your heart. And that you were in the palm of his hand, you were Edwards, you know, the spider hanging over the fire and the web is about to be burned through and you will fall into the fire and burn forever. This is how you were when you came to Jesus. And there was no hope for you. And so you fled to the cross. And I say to you, do you have no faith for other sinners? Are you so cruel and heartless that you will not warn the greedy, the adulterer, the fornicator, the narcissist, the gossip? You won't warn the homosexual. You won't warn the arrogant. And even if you say you don't have good gaydar and can't recognize the homosexual, I say, yeah, but you are proud and you know the proud man. So why aren't you warning him? People, people, come on. Love Bloomington. Would you love Bloomington and trust the Word of God? God is true, though all men are liars. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. There's no way to come to Christ through Christians being smug about how good they are at flattering them. That's all he's doing is flattering homosexuals. Don't worry. You know, it's like he has holy water, you know. You know. Throwing holy water on everybody. You didn't choose this. It's not freely chosen. It came to you when you were young. You have a sexual orientation. And now I say to the women, don't worry. You're not a rebel against your husband. You just understand that your husband's an idiot. And you've known that from when you were very young. Why? At least as soon as puberty. You knew men were idiots. Come on. Where's my wife? Okay, come on out. Come on. Okay, now sing the song. Come on, sing the song. <laughs> sing the song. It's a great song. Your daughters will join you. Come on. And there are other verses, right? Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Or another way of saying it is, if, if a man speaks in a forest, there's no woman to hear him, is he still wrong? Imagine how far we could go in excusing women from being rebels against God's order of creation, the way this guy does it, you know? And then we got incest and we got bestiality. Would, I, would you like to hear me try bestiality? You know, from the time I was young. You know, it, it's an orientation. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. And then what about theft? 
And how about murder? You know, from the time I first got pregnant, I wanted my child dead, so I had an abortion. I find that every single time I get a child and pre get pregnant, now I want an abortion. It's just this murder principle. I have an orientation of murder inside me. I'm a mother that eats her young. Oh! I'm a man that impregnates women and doesn't support them and will not take responsibility for the product of my copulation, my hooking up. I won't do it. And so guess what? She aborts your child. You're a murderer. This is not an orientation. This is not something you discover. This is not something that comes to you unbidden any more than homosexuality is. And so here we have this unbelievable judgment of God, he says, I'm going to reveal it to Abraham, and Abraham is going to command his children, based on this truth, he's going to command his children, and thus I will keep my covenant with Abraham because his children will walk in the way of the Lord. Isn't that weird? I've made covenant, I've chosen, now I'm going to tell him, reveal him, then he will command his children, and this is how God is going to fulfill the covenant. Okay? And then we have this unbelievable exchange between Abraham and God. Where Abraham says, okay, God says, I'm going to wipe them out because of their wickedness. Abraham says, okay, what if there's, you know, what if there's, you know, 40, you know, righteous people in there? Okay, all right, I won't. And so I ask you, what is Abraham trying to do? What we all think he's trying to do is save the life of his nephew Lot. That's not what he's trying to do. Do you see that? He's trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah. For the sake of these righteous, will you then not wipe them out? How about this, how about this number of righteous? This number, how about even, listen, I'm dust and ashes. I'm just ashes. I'm nothing before you. You know, you can see that he knows that he's on an exceedingly thin ice with God. Every single time he lowers the number, it's like you can just see him cringing. And his cringing is, I'm but ashes. I have nothing to hold you accountable by. But I'm pleading, what about if there's only 20? And what if there's only 10? And God says, if there are only 10, then I'll spare the wicked. Do you see that? Why does Abraham do this? The way I think about it is Abraham does it because his nephew Lot. And then I'd be willing to think that Abraham does it because, his, um, because he put all of his men at risk by going and fighting the kings to rescue the Sodomites and the Gomorites and all of them. Remember that? They were taken into captivity. And he says, look, you know, I, I, I shed blood to get them back. You know, at great risk to myself and everybody that I held dear, and now you're going to go and consume them? I mean, what sense did it make for me to rescue them? You're just going to wipe them out. I'm willing to think that he cared about Lot, and I'm willing to think that certain conservation of energy, you know? But that's not what Abraham is doing. What is Abraham doing? What is he doing? Abraham is loving Bloomington. Abraham is loving the LGBT or TB or, no, not TB, that's Tim Bailey. You know, the, the LG. He's, 
He's loving the anthropology department. He's loving the school of education. He's loving Tim Cook. In other words, Abraham is a lover. And when we read him doing this, we remember that Moses says, what? Moses says, no, don't consume this people. Take me out of your book. And then the Apostle Paul says, what? If I could, I would be damned for the sake of my people. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. He was willing to be damned for the sake of his love for the people of God. And then we read that here it is love, not that we love God, but what? But that he loved us. Scripture tells us that God set his affection on us and loved us while we were still his enemies. Come on. Live by faith. Come on. Live by faith. Don't give me this baloney that you love homosexuals. You don't give a rip about homosexuals. All you want to do is hide. You don't want to know about their lives. You don't want to hear about it. You don't want to read about it. You don't want your pastor talking about it. You don't know. You don't love them. And you are not praying for them because I defy you to pray for homosexuals without speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not the only thing you'll speak about. You're not going to go around going, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. But man, if you have somebody who's fleeing the wrath to come, they know that God has judged them. And I'll tell you what the typical story for for homosexuals is, this is just absolutely typical. What almost every single one of them has told me is, you know, for years I prayed that God would remove this temptation from me, but he didn't do it, and so I stopped. That's just the classic homosexual testimony of men that are now just giving themselves to sin. You know? And so what are you going to say to that man? Well, it's a good thing you stopped praying because obviously God wasn't going to answer. No, what you're going to say is, hey, you know something? Uh, the Sodomites and the people in Gomorrah, they stopped praying too. And it didn't get them real well because it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And I don't want you judged. I don't want to smell your flesh burning. Now, can you imagine saying that to somebody? Honestly, why not? Why does Scripture have such a definitive record of flesh burning, of smoke, of brimstone, 
And then a definitive picture of Lot's wife. And then they add to Lot's wife. We haven't gotten there yet, but they add to it by putting it in the New Testament as if the Old Testament wasn't enough. And then they say, remember Lot's wife. And then we read in 1 Corinthians, what does it say? Or is it 2 Corinthians? It says this. Yeah. It says, verse 6 of chapter 10, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And then verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so the helpfulness continues today. God has chosen to reveal it to us. God has given it to us and for our children. Judgment is the gospel. The burden is what drives us to the cross. The law is our schoolmaster to Jesus. There is supposed to be warnings. That's the gospel. Promises and warnings, promises and warnings, blessings and curses, choices, blessings and curses, and in America today, the church has to once again believe in the blessing of God's judgment. Because without the blessing of God's judgment, no man will ever flee to the cross. And if we don't have faith for God's judgment, and if we don't believe that the fear of God is a blessing, and if we don't think that the Holy Spirit was sent to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, then how can we claim to be Christian? We can't be. You can't be a Christian and not love the mercy of God. You say, oh, oh, wait, 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 I do love the mercy of God. And I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You don't love the mercy of God. Because if you love the mercy of God, the only way to understand it is the judgment of God. You cannot love the mercy of God without completely fearing and being terror-stricken by the judgment of God. All right? Okay? Please say okay. Okay. This is all God has for us today. It's very simple. When we're down there marching today, we look at everybody giving us the finger and we just know that that's me. <laughs> you know, I don't have trouble understanding a guy giving me a finger while I'm marching around the square. That's me. And so I love him. Because they're, come on, say it. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Have you heard that expression? There, but for the grace of God, go I. That's me. Right, Seth? Eh? Eh? Right, Jeff? Right, Caleb? Right, Lexi?
So love people. Love Bloomington. Love them.